Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Could you pray with me? Loving Lord God, be with us now as we consider words of Moses in Deuteronomy. May the words that I will say and the thoughts and listening of all of, our, of, all of us here together do you honour in every way, for that is our dearest desire. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a little known fact about me that the first time I met Luke Pereira, he was three days old or thereabouts. I particularly remember he was still in hospital with his mum. I particularly remember because Kathy was one of my first friends from school to have a baby and here was this little actual other person. He wasn't here and now he is. Look, he's real. It was quite an extraordinary thing, a miracle. I don't know about you but I think when you've known somebody from the very beginning of their life, it makes you really fond of them. And even when life gets busy and you head in different directions, you always like to hear that they're doing okay. You just want to know. And I have to tell you that when God does something astonishing, that means that then they grow up and you get older and suddenly you're under their ministry, that is a miracle. It's a beautiful, precious thing and something I'll never take for granted. Now, I mention that because I sort of feel the same way about Moses. We know Moses in the Bible from the very beginning of his life, from the moment of his birth. There aren't that many that we follow from their birth all the way through to almost the very end of their life. There's a sort of mysterious thing about the very end of Moses's life, which I'm sure we'll get to when we get further into Deuteronomy. And not only do we know Moses all the way through different parts of his life but we also get to meet him the man and some of his feelings not only his public ministry I feel like Moses life is fleshed out in a way that's quite rare in the Bible and if we are careful when we read and we join all the dots we can actually get to know him very well So sometimes it's the public man, the great leader. At the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, after his death, we read these words from verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses is a great, great man. But sometimes it's the private Moses where we witness his feelings, his insecurities, and as in the passage we're going to speak about, his disappointment. It's a personal look into the life of a man beloved by God able to do great things, but with, as Ian sometimes says about people, room for improvement. 
Remember when we met him first in the basket in the river just after his birth? It's in Exodus chapter 2 when his mother and older sister devised a way to save him from the cruelty of Pharaoh. And astonishingly, he ended up being raised in Pharaoh's own house. What a miracle God did there. Remember in Exodus, a little bit later, when he became enraged at the bad treatment of the Hebrews by by the Egyptians, and indeed he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite. And his fear when he found out that that had been uh, known and seen, and his flight into Midian, where he married, married Zipporah, lived for a while, and Zipporah was the daughter of a Midianite priest called Jethro, and I'm going to say something about him in a minute. And then Moses met God, actually met God himself in the episode of the burning bush in Exodus 3. God called him by name and told him that he had heard the cries of the oppressed Israelites and that he was going to do something about it. In fact, he was going to send Moses. And Moses argued back. It's a conversation that goes for two whole chapters. It's really worth reading again. He said things like, who am I to do this? And what if they don't believe me? And even after God gave him some personal miracles that should have actually reminded him who he was dealing with here, he still said, no, please send someone else. And then God of grace showed him great love and understanding and said, all right, well, then you can take Aaron with you if it makes you feel better. Now, we're not going to do a blow-by-blow biography of Moses all the way through, though I think it would be good for all of us to do this as our, in our personal reading quite soon as we're reading through Deuteronomy. But we see more of his life and his emotions. He deals with Pharaoh and the plagues and leads the exodus and becomes a great leader, encouraging the people not to be afraid as they cross the Red Sea. But then we saw him almost immediately frustrated and angry as the people started to whinge pretty much as soon as they'd got across the river. And then back to Jethro just for a second, we see him almost at his wit's end with exhaustion in Exodus 18. And the very wise, lovely father-in-law comes to visit him. And if you want to know how to do a pastoral visit, you could do much worse than to read Exodus 18 and see what Jethro did, which was to listen first and encourage before he made any suggestions about what to do next. And Moses had the grace to listen to him. And then we follow Moses up Mount Sinai as he receives the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and lots of instructions about the tabernacle. And he hears up there from God that the people have become corrupt and that God is thinking, maybe I'll just do away with them. But Moses speaks up to God for the people and God relents. But then he comes down the mountain and sees the way that Aaron has led the people astray with the building of the golden calf idol. And he is so angry and frustrated that he hurls the, the t- clay tablets that, has the, the, that have um, stone tablets? The tablets onto the ground and they break into lots of pieces. All the time, God continues to show him grace. Moses was able to speak again to God. It is clear that this sin does deserve judgment and that there will be consequences, and there were dire consequences for this sin. And yet God showed Moses his glory. Back up on Mount Sinai, the covenant is reaffirmed, new stone tablets are made, and Moses returns with a shining face. 
And then came Kadesh Barnea. Now, that's a name we now know better than we probably did before as we've talked about it for the last few weeks. The events we've been hearing about in these first chapters of, of Deuteronomy where the people were too afraid to trust in God and enter Canaan as he'd instructed them to. Now they must stay in the wilderness. They're not going to enter the land as they thought they would. And in fact, it will take the time that it takes a whole generation to die out before they can enter this land. And indeed, that includes Moses. Of all of the generation, the Bible tells us only Caleb, and there's a great story about Caleb. Do look Caleb up. He's a, a terrific man, and there's a couple of beautiful bits about him in the Bible. And Joshua, who will now lead the people into the promised land. Moses will not enter the land either. And there's an, a, a, an episode in Numbers chapter 20 that I think you should have a read of this week too. It's a bit confusing, but it absolutely underlines that no, Moses will not be entering the land either. This is a great surprise in the Bible. Lots of people have written about what a great surprise that is. But I'm sure it came as a big shock to Moses too. And that brings us finally now to the passage we're looking at today. After the two great battles that Richard spoke about last week with um, Sihon and Og, in which God fought for the people and they were successful, where we've seen Moses in his public role, now he tells them about a very different scene, a quiet, intimate scene, and his own heartfelt prayer. Remember the context that the book of Deuteronomy is mostly the words of, of Moses as he speaks to the people. He is doing the recounting here. So he's reminding them what God has done, remain faithful and just and full of grace, and what the people have done, which is not doing so well. And Moses says to them, And so I told Joshua, You have seen with your own eyes what God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord will fight for you. And of course, that is what God's done. There is no victory without God doing it for them. But I wonder that as Moses heard those words come out of his own mouth over there where you are going, if it came home to him in a really visceral way, and I am not. Sometimes when you do have something tough that has happened, the first time you hear yourself say it, it really hurts. And I just wonder about one of those moments happening for Moses. And now he tells the people about a very, very personal moment. Moses, the private man. It's pretty amazing to me that he even tells them that this is in the Bible. And I'm so glad it is because we have a lot to learn from it. Lots of times we see Moses speak to God on behalf of the people. But here he speaks on behalf of himself. My Lord Yahweh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven on earth who can do the mighty things that you can do. God, you can do anything, he's saying here. Please 
let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. Now, this is no light request. And the language that is used in the biblical language there is that makes that very clear. This is a deep, heartfelt plea. Please, Lord God, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. Perhaps he's remembering how God relented that other time when he spoke up on behalf of the people. Maybe he's saying, God, you can do anything. You could change your mind about this too. After all, ever since the burning bush, this has been the purpose of Moses' life, is to lead the people into the promised land. Surely God didn't really mean it when he said he couldn't go. But the answer that came, came emphatically, no, and don't speak to me about it again. Moses describes that as, uh, to the people as God was angry with me. He tells the people, because of you, the Lord was angry with me. But it also strikes me that these are quite familiar words to any loving parent. No, don't talk to me about it again. I've heard myself say that. No, no further discussion will be entered into. That's the kind of sense of this. My word is final. The answer is no. When you hear that and you feel the deep disappointment that comes along with that, sometimes I think of that as being like the moment when all the water runs out of the bath at once. Oh, you know, oh. it's hard to hear the next words that the person says to you because I think it's fascinating that the next word God says, these to him, he says, you may see the land. Remember, what, God, what he's asked God is, please let me see the land and go into it. God says, you may see the land. In fact, go up to Pisgah, which is a summit, and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes. You may see the land. But then the reiteration of the answer, but you are not going to enter it. Ooh, this is disappointing to Moses. Disappointing doesn't really go there. You can tell that in the fact that even though he doesn't talk to God about it anymore, he does talk to the Israelites about it six more times through Deuteronomy. It's clearly something that stayed with him. He didn't stop him reminding them, your sin included, excluded me from entering the land. That's kind of right, although Moses sinned too. So it's not that they sinned and he didn't, but it feels like that to him. And God has some more words for Moses. He says, what's more, I want you to behave with grace about this. I want you to commission Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him because he will be the one who will lead the people across to inherit the land that, yeah, you can only look at. This is a hard ask, isn't it? I don't want you stamping your feet and walking away from Joshua. No, your job is to encourage him and strengthen him and commission him. God was saying, I want you to treat him with the grace that I have shown to you. Hand to him with an open heart the dream that you have held. And you know... One thing about our friend Moses is he does do that. 
We see it in the, again towards the end of Deuteronomy, these very familiar words to us. We sometimes even sing it. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you must go with these people into the land the Lord swore to their forefathers to give to you. Sorry, to give to them. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. And he will never forsake you nor leave you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. They're words of grace, aren't they? He commissions. He strengthens. He encourages. What about us? What do we have to learn from Moses here? When we come to God with a heartfelt prayer and the answer seems to be no, what can sustain our faith? They're the moments that sometimes you can feel like, well, then God's just not interested. And if he's interested in people, maybe he's just not interested in me. What's that about? Particularly if they're prayers that feel to us like, how could that not be answered yes? When I pray fervently for the for one of my parents to, be, to become a Christian and then they die. How come that, how is it possible that no could be the answer to that? Or what about things that they just they feel like, you know, great, you know, God, you know I want to serve you and somehow I'm, but I'm sick and I'm not able to do it. Hard to find and understand how no could possibly be the answer. And it's not easy. It really is hard to understand. And if we do question God, we're actually in quite good company. One thing is to think about that. All the way through the Bible, people question God. People like Abraham and Sarah and Elijah and the whole book of Job. David wanted to build God's temple, but he was told, no, Solomon will do that. Paul asked three times for what he called his thorn in the flesh to be taken away, but the answer was... No. Truth is, it is really hard to understand. This is not neat. We can't just tie this up with a bow and have an easy answer. But here are a few things that we can keep in mind as we think about it. One thing I read when I was really thinking about this and considering disappointment, and it's stayed with me ever since, someone reminded me that the prayers that we pray even if they're not immediately answered yes, are precious to God. That's one thing we know in the Bible, that God says your prayers are precious. There's a gorgeous picture in... um, Hang on, I've just turned two pages. There's a a beautiful picture in in Revelation that talks about the prayers of the people being held in a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of God's people. And we wouldn't have that image if when we pray, those prayers just evaporated. We don't know, but we do know that they're precious. I love, there's a, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 20, 20, 29, 29 that I do love that says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of his law. We don't know everything, but we do know God. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed, and lots and lots of things in the Bible tell us lots about God. And, you know, sometimes our prayers, we have to remember, they're not only about us. A yes to Moses would have been a no to Joshua. 
I used to have a poster. It was one of those 1950s pictures of a girl, you know, going, and it said, what if I'm not the main character? And <laughs> is that possible? But we are, aren't we? We're part of a community. Missionaries understand this, that it can be very hard to hand something on to somebody else. Often when we have been doing something, a ministry for a long time, handing it over, you don't know if the person who's going to do it next, you think, will do it like you or as well, or it's hard. In fact, um, Conrad Mbiwi, who used to be on our Langham International Council, and it actually, funnily enough, if you Google him, it says, sometimes known as the African Spurgeon, which gave me a bit of a shock, um, wrote his PhD on exactly that, on about missionaries handing over work to local people and doing it well because it's very rare. And his, he has this snappy title of Insights from the Lives of Olive Doak and Paul Kasonga for Pioneer Mission and Church Planting, to, Planting Today. Not a snappy title, but it's a great book. And it talks about this wonderful woman from New Zealand who went to what was then northern Rhodesia, Zambia, and she worked in the very um, remote um, copper area, copper belt area there. She met and mentored and worked alongside a local, a young local man whose name was Paul Kasonga, who was a leper. And he had huge disabilities caused by his leprosy. But he was a man of great wisdom and leadership and caring and godliness. And she became sure that he was the person that they should hand the ministry over to. And they did. And they did it well. And Conrad writes about that in his... In his um, PhD, and it's wonderful. We might need to, to pray for grace to do something like that too. And that takes courage and it takes faith. It can be hard if, I don't know, for instance, we've done years of youth ministry and suddenly it dawns on us and they're not as young as we were and there might be someone younger who would do that work better now. It could be at school if you're a teacher or at work where you, you want to be actually genuinely glad for the success of somebody else with an open heart and an open hand. We have a friend right now who is struggling a lot with being told at her church that actually they'd like it if younger people sang. And she's been on the church music team for a really long time and she is really struggling with that message. To do that graciously with an open hand, that's hard. But it's important. And doing that well can have an enormous impact on others. Ian and I watched our amazing friend Kay deal with the huge disappointment, the devastation of a crippling brain tumour getting in the way of what was just really becoming, in a, in a particular setting, an incredible pastoral ministry. Her brain tumour quite quickly ribbed, robbed her of her ability to speak and the treatment she had meant that she had a whole series of small strokes and with each one she became more and more disabled. And then for 10 years she was in a wheelchair and completely um, had to rely on her husband and on others for all of her care. But in the time that that happened, her faith in God was so shining that it made a huge impact on lots of people. I don't know if I've said this here before, but I have said it in lots of places. The only time since I became a Christian at 13 that I really thought I might just give up on God was when that happened. 
and I could not understand it at all. And it was Kay's faith that held me. She wasn't going to let me go. She could see that even though she didn't understand, God was there. We learned a lot about God's grace from seeing that in her. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes people are watching us and we don't know that. But what we do matters. Also, Moses being not able to go into the land was a very serious warning to the people. Consequences are real. Sin matters. Judgment is real. It's a relatively trivial example, but I remember after getting a speeding fine once, I got very much more concentrated on how fast I was driving because the actual consequence was real. It was there. And actually, nobody deserved to enter the land. The fact that anyone was going to enter the land was only by God's grace. It was a gift. In his commentary about this, Chris Wright says, Moses' death outside the land would witness to the reality of judgment, just as Joshua's victorious entry would witness witness to the reality of forgiving covenant grace. Moses will die, but the people will live, and judgment and grace are interwoven. And then finally, think about this. Sometimes God has a whole other plan that in our wildest imagination we could never think of. For us, we have the privilege of knowing that this is not all there is. We have something to hope for that will mean that we'll realise that this is the Shadowlands. But even for Moses, I just wonder if he would have felt quite differently on this day if he had known that one day, many, many, many years into the future, he would stand on a mountain in the land with Jesus, with God himself, with the Messiah come. That's something to hold on to. Amen.